from KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Michael Krasny. In a 5-4 to four ruling decided by Chief Justice Roberts, the U.S. Supreme Court today struck down a restrictive abortion law in Louisiana. The law would have eliminated access to abortions at all but one abortion clinic in the state, and we'll discuss the ruling. But first, the President of the United States yesterday retweeted a video in which one of his supporters can be heard shouting white power at protesters. We'll talk with GOP political consultant Mike Madrid about Trump's sharing of the racist video and other recent news, including revelations that Russia paid the Taliban to kill American troops serving in Afghanistan. That's all next on Forum after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Yesterday, President Donald Trump retweeted a video that included one of his supporters saying white power in response to protesters. And Trump thanked the, quote, great people in the video. The president later deleted the tweet, and the White House said he had not heard the racist chant in the video, which depicted arguments among residents of the village, a predominantly white and conservative Florida retirement community. Some critics said the president may have wanted to distract attention from another growing scandal, an intelligence report that concluded Russia had paid a bounty to the Taliban to kill American troops serving in Afghanistan. And uh, Trump's... uh, tweeting that he was not briefed about that intelligence. We'll talk about these two stories and more with GOP political consultant Mike Madrid. He's co-founder of the Lincoln Project. It's a group of leading Republicans trying to prevent the re-election of President Donald Trump. And welcome, Mike Madrid. Good to have you. Great to have you. Good morning. Good morning to you. I guess the place I'd like to begin with is there's a lot of spotlight on this retweeting of a white power salute by someone in a golf cart. And I'm wondering what you make of it, particularly in light of the fact that Judd Deere, who's deputy press secretary in the White House, said that the president did not see it, did not hear it, and uh, also that you have John Bolton weighing in, getting more promotion perhaps for his book, but also saying it's possible he didn't hear it because he has a very short attention span, but it's possible he did because he plays to his base. How do you read it? Well, I think it's really, I think you nailed it in the intro, which is we're at a point where the president of the United States is using overt racism to hide the fact that he likely committed treason with the story that we'll talk about in just a moment. So look, Donald Trump has a history and a pattern of making racist comments, some of them far more explicit than others. But as we get closer and closer to this election cycle, there's no reason to believe anything other than the fact that he will continue to double down on what he believes was a very useful tool in coalescing his shrinking base in this country, which is overwhelmingly non-college educated white voters in key states. Wouldn't you think, though, that he would want to play beyond that base? I mean, certainly his political advisors, many of them are allegedly telling him that he has to play more toward the middle than the base itself because he has the base locked. Well, a reasonable person would suggest that, sure, but he's never demonstrated the capacity to do that ever at any point in his presidential either campaigns or his governance style. So he he is, you know, to, to his credit, I suppose that's one way to put it, he's the first politician I've ever seen who has actually won by subtraction meaning he polarizes the electorate so much between whites, particularly non-college educated whites and non-whites, that he overperforms. He brings in new non-college educated white voters 
based off of this rhetoric in the key states that he needs to. And that was the way he was able to pull what was essentially a political inside straight and win the election in 2016. He has not adjusted. He is not trying to uh, reach beyond that base. In fact, he's trying to double down. And that's exactly why you saw the tweet come out the last couple of days. Now, what do you make of the fact, though, Mike, that the uh, the leaders of this group of village people, and it sounds like something uh, <laughs> out of a contemporary popular culture, but they, they claim they don't know this man, they don't recognize him, even though when he speaks about great people, it seems to certainly echo Charlottesville in language he used back then. And in light of what we heard in Tulsa about Kung Flu and in light of other sorts of things that have surfaced recently that really have divided to a great extent along racial lines. You've got uh, sort of a mix here. I mean, first of all, what about the village uh, elders, so to speak, and those who are in uh, uh, official positions saying they don't recognize the man? Well, you, you're asking an important uh, demographic question, and I think it helps to answer it. The first is this. If you're a Republican and you're seeing a, a division, a disagreement in the villages, you're in deep, deep trouble. This is an overwhelmingly older senior citizen, 65 and older community, overwhelmingly white. And that is a demographic constituency that Republicans for the past 50 years have dramatically overperformed with. At this point in time, Donald Trump is losing those voters by about a nine point margin. That has never happened before, even in losing presidential campaigns. And that speaks to how difficult things are for Donald Trump. So it's the fact that these are older voters, they are whiter voters, they are more conservative voters, and there's evidently, we, we just saw it, the president tweeted it out, these heated disagreements on whether or not the president is racist, and more importantly, whether he competently managed the COVID situation when this group is the one that is most affected and dying in disproportionate numbers. So there's the, the, the base, the Republican base is collapsing for Donald Trump, and he sees very little wiggle room here on a very tight roadmap anyway to be reelected. And he is a one trick pony. He does not have any other tools in the tool chest. He's going to uh, ratchet up the rhetoric, the racial rhetoric, and try to replicate this, you know, uh, very peculiar win that he pulled off in 2016 here in 2020. So this is in line with uh, his decision not to change uh, and, and decidedly speak very strongly about not changing Confederate base names or names that have Confederate bases or for that matter, what he said in echoing the Miami police chief, uh, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, this is all playing essentially to that base and revealing, well, what we can easily deem or call racism. That's precisely what it is. The, the, the challenge for Donald Trump politically, we'll set aside the moral considerations of this, but politically, the difficulty is America culturally has changed. There is not this overwhelming sentiment, even in the South, to keep these monuments, these Confederate monuments, or to keep the Confederate flag. Mississippi, for example, just removed and pulled down its state flag, which was the last flag that had the symbol of the Confederacy embedded in its banner. So America has changed. It is not 1968. Um, it is certainly not a time before then. White Americans specifically have changed. And it's that, that watershed changing, that sea change, that has created a real dilemma for the president. Again, I'm gonna set aside the moral implications. The political implications suggest that this divide between college-educated whites and non-college-educated whites has grown from a gap into a chasm. And it's largely based off of these cultural slash racial wars that the president is engaging in. There's a direct correlation between how educated a Republican is and the dis disaffiliation and, and disregard they have for Donald Trump.
Well, we need to mention here that Tim Scott, uh, the only African-American senator in the Republican Party, uh, called this indefensible, the retweeting. Uh, but let me also get your thoughts, Mike, on what I wanted to speak to you about as well this segment, and that is uh, the GRU, the Russian military wing, essentially paying, so the allegation goes, bounties uh, on American lives, on U.S. soldiers' lives. And uh, again, the president said no one told him about it. Uh, no one apparently told him about the firing of... Uh, uh, Jeffrey Berman uh, from the South District of New York. A lot of things that the president suddenly is not briefed on, but he's getting a lot of pushback on that because essentially many are saying he was briefed. Uh, in fact, uh, I'll mention another Republican, fellow Republican of yours, uh, and that's Steele, um, Michael Steele, former head of the RNC, who said, of course, he was briefed. You read it the same way? Well, I don't think there's any way that he could not have been briefed. Uh, if he were not, that's a, that's a separate significant problem. Um, but of course he was briefed. Uh, the, the challenge is going to be, and I don't think it's going to be a difficult one, is demonstrating the fact that he was briefed, whether it was done orally or on paper or electronically. Um, and I also don't believe it was just the president of the United States. I believe the vice president was also briefed as well. If that's the case, and again, I believe it's very likely that it is, you have a very uh, difficult situation for the Congress uh, because the Congress is, is, I think, obligated to look into this further and assess just how deep this runs. When did when did the president and vice president know this information and when did they know it? Well, excuse um, me, Mike, the New York Times says, and Rachel Maddow echoed this, that it was back in March, although uh, you have the president, of course, uh, saying again that he was never really briefed uh, and also saying through his press secretary that the New York Times uh, is not a valid source here, that in fact he impugned them and said that they made this story up, it's fake news. Yeah, at a certain point, the president uh, either admits that or refuses to admit that he knows basic information or like in the tweet, he didn't hear something or, you know, he disregards the information source. This has been going on for three, three and a half years. And I think that for the average American, they no longer view this as credible. Where this situation crosses the line is there was a bounty put on the heads of our troops serving overseas and the New York Times is also reporting that there were at least some casualties that resulted from this. In other words, American troops were killed by Russians through Taliban agents. The president knew about it and did nothing about it. That is, I think, the most serious charge that has ever been leveled at this president along a long line of serious charges. Essentially, so, it's saying that the president of the United States is a traitor, isn't it? I believe it is. And, you know, there's, there's a fine line, I think, between treason and a dereliction of duty. But I think this fits, and I'm not a lawyer, but politically speaking, and I think in the court of public opinion, this is aiding and abetting an enemy. These are people- To date, he has not made a statement about this of any kind, and he's still presumably inviting Putin to the G7, uh, but the argument continues to come down from the White House that no one briefed the president. Some of you who are listening may want to indeed weigh in on this or on the retweeting of what was a racist video, and I'd like to hear what your thoughts are, and certainly any questions you want to bring to the fore here, we'd like to hear from you, and let me invite you to join the program. You can do that now by calling in at our toll-free number, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook, we're at KQED Forum, or email any questions or comments you might have to forum at kqed.org. We're talking with Mike Madrid, who is co-founder of the Lincoln Project, a group of leading Republicans trying to prevent the re-election of President Donald Trump. And he's also a political consultant and partner at Grassroots Lab and an expert on Latino voting trends. Getting some remarks here from listeners. Uh, actually, a listener wants to know, would the Lincoln Project support independent redistricting, taking redistricting away from state legislators to move the country closer to the center? 
Lincoln Project is singularly focused on one goal at this point, and that is the removal of Trump and Trumpism from the Republican Party because we believe it's a direct threat to the, uh, the Republic. Uh, we'll consider perhaps, uh, even if we don't know one, if we'll continue after November, um, we may, we may not. We may consider other issues at that time, but for the moment, we're, we're focusing on the issue at hand. And a comment from a listener named Robert, it's no longer enough for people like Tim Scott to make the rare statement opposing the president, but on most days of the week, go back to acting like they work for the president. Let me again invite your comments and your calls. You can join us toll free at 866-733-6786. This is only a half hour segment, so if you want to weigh in, now would be the time. Again, the number to call 866-733-6786 or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions you might have to forum at kqed.org. Now, you know, we were talking about uh, treason before. There are many uh, in the Republican Party who probably look at you and others of, uh, of your persuasion in the Lincoln Project as traitors, uh, as going against the President of the United States. Uh, I, I just wonder how that uh, kind of pushback affects you. Uh, it doesn't bother me at all to those people I say he may consider me a traitor to the Republican Party, but I consider them a traitor to our country. I believe that the Republic is facing an existential threat by a president who does not follow the Constitution, and he's aided and abetted by a U.S. Senate of Republicans willing to do the same. Um, I have very strong core convictions and beliefs as a Republican, as a conservative. They have not changed. But first and foremost, I'm a, a patriot and that I love my country. And I will do whatever I can to protect and preserve our constitutional republic. And I believe that the president is a threat to that. And I, the, the names and the name calling uh, don't bother me at all. In fact, they just remind me that we're focused on the right mission and I think we'll be successful in accomplishing it. Well, as far as the uh, president being a traitor uh, with respect to our soldiers in Afghanistan, what do you make out of the fact that the Taliban has denied that this took place. In fact, quite, the, and, and so, by the way, has John Ratcliffe, uh, who is now the head of intelligence. I'm sure that they probably would. Certainly, whoever is working for the president would absolutely begin with denials. That's the way that Watergate began. That's the way a whole host of, of issues began. And I'm not sure why the Taliban would be honest either. <laughs> These aren't honest actors. I mean, the question is, if U.S. and, and uh, European uh, intelligence had this information and found literally the cash um, that was a part of these deals that came together. And as more information is becoming apparent, I think, I think it's obvious. I think it's obvious on its face what has happened here. The question is, at what point can we document the fact that the president knew about this and did nothing? And is that going to be a matter of days and or weeks? But it will come out. Let me bring a caller on, and that's you, Anjali. You're on the air. Good morning. Welcome. Hey. Um, hey, Mike. Uh, huge fan and supporter of Lincoln Project as well. Uh, my question to you was, the, on the Latino support for Trump in uh, 2016, and how do you see those trends changing for 2020? I'll take my answer up here. Right, thank you for the question. Mike Madrid. Yeah, so the, there's a very uh, interesting dynamic with uh, not just Latinos, but African-American Republicans, um, both of whom are a pretty small minority, about 6 to 8% of African-Americans um, are Republicans and show up and vote at those levels for uh, all presidents, including Donald Trump. The Latino votes hovered around 27, 28% for Donald Trump, which is exactly in line with baseline Republican vote going back to at least the Bob Dole campaign in 1996. Uh, the reason for that is largely twofold. There's a strong evangelical strain uh, in the Latino community, and we can also tie it back to military service. 
So those are the two main factors driving Latino republicanism. Uh, they are very strong. They are very deeply ingrained. And I don't expect that Trump will get any less than 25 or 26% support, but I don't expect that he will get any more than 25 or 26% support either. You know, Mike, I was reading your Twitter feed and uh, I was, um, I'm, I'm sorry, having all that problem with the squirrel, by the way, but I was also uh, <laughs> fascinated uh, to read all this speculation about, uh, and, it, and it sounds like it may be coming from left field, but about the president considering actually dropping out because his low his poll numbers are so low this but the, the source of this was uh, Charles Gasparino who's a writer for Fox or excuse me is a, a reporter for Fox News which seems to be um, sort of a different source with this kind of speculation what do you make out of it well look the, the president is hovering at historic lows now this is very different than what the situation was in the, in 2016 and keep in mind July will be a very consequential month for the president the reason why is the COVID infection rates are starting to explode in red state areas, specifically in Arizona, Texas, Florida, uh, and some other battleground states. So his polling numbers, in my estimation, have not hit bottom. I think he's going to go lower in the next 30 to 35 days. And he has now become an anchor around the neck of Senate Republicans, who I think have all but written the president off and are trying to protect the Senate majority. The Lincoln Project is very engaged in a lot of these races. Uh, we think a lot of these Republican senators need to be removed for enabling the president. Um, and so I think that if it, the time comes and his polling numbers hit a certain point, he will be approached by the leaders in the party to say, we got to do something here. The whole thing is in jeopardy. Now, again, this is a Fox News contributor. I think it's a very credible source. But at the Lincoln Project, um, we're really not focused on that either. There's, again, a mission at hand. A lot of this can be political chatter. Um, I, we don't take it terribly seriously, um, although you know it is noise in the background. The bigger story here is the fact that this is actually being legitimately discussed by conservative news sources so late into this cycle, and it tells you just how problematic the fundamentals are for the president in a political sense at this point in the election. And let me bring another caller aboard. David joins us. David, welcome. You're on the air. Hi. Uh, so you guys, uh, you know, Lincoln Project, uh, at least on this show, has been discussing the various demographics that support Trump or may support Trump or have supported Trump, particularly um, undereducated or racist white elements. But it seems to me that there's a large number of voters that support Trump for their own personal or a corporate economic self-interest, and they basically would be willing to hold their nose at least up to some point uh, to vote for their own economic self-interest. And I think that's a fairly large group. Wouldn't you agree? I think David's point's well taken. Your thoughts, Mike Madrid? Well, not only is that well taken, he's exactly right from the strategic consideration. And back in November, December, when we launched the Lincoln Project, this group was the primary and core audience that we were looking for. And here is why. In 2016, Donald Trump got 34% of the college-educated white vote. It was a historically low number, but we believed, again, these voters may be voting their financial interests, but the cultural issues and the cultural war he's engaged in could turn them off in, 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 in an amount and in a number su sufficient enough to ensure his defeat. We saw that happen essentially in 2018, uh, especially here in California, where you looked at uh, seven congressional districts, white 
college educated suburban, specifically women, had had enough. They didn't care about their 401ks setting record high numbers. They didn't care about job prospects getting better. They felt that there was something terribly corrosive and destructive happening in their country. And they voted either for Democrats or didn't vote for Donald Trump. That allowed the Democrats to take the House. We believe that that same core constituency is going to continue to erode as Donald Trump doubles down on the racial rhetoric. So the question is a very good one, and it's a very significant strategic consideration. All of the evidence, all of the political data and history suggests that there's going to be a continued movement away from these economic voters, Republicans, from the Republican Party, especially now that the economy is in shambles, largely as a result of his mishandling of the COVID situation. It's kind of make it hard to make an economic argument when the economy is in its worst situation in probably uh, a, a generation. Well, here's Jan who wants to know, as your guest saying, Republicans should vote for Biden, and the Lincoln Project is pretty much saying that. Uh, and I want to ask you, in fact, how closely is Lincoln Project working with the Democrats? So that's also a really good question, and frankly, it was a strategic one. What we do know is there is a lot of Republicans um, in the double digits who do not want to vote for Donald Trump. Having them vote for a Democrat, many of whom have voted for Republican their entire lives, in many instances, is a road too far. The Lincoln Project is essentially focused on making sure that Republicans do not vote for Donald Trump. But Joe Biden is really not uh, that difficult of an alternative, especially when you consider that we could have potentially had Bernie Sanders. I think the strategic considerations there would have been markedly different. So, yes, you are correct. The Lincoln Project has endorsed Joe Biden. I don't think that there are many of us in this group that have ever voted for a Democrat for president before. I know I have not. I did not vote for Donald Trump either in 2016. Um, a lot of our supporters, a lot of the Republican apparatus around us that is coming on board is simply saying that they will not vote for Donald Trump. They don't know if they can get to Joe Biden or not. The truth of the matter is, as long as uh, Donald Trump is not getting 95, 96 percent of the Republican base, it's a very good likelihood he's going to lose. I'm going to read a comment by Mark who writes, the Lincoln Project ads are incredible, and I thank you. It is also clear how you guys made such persuasive advertising over the decades to defeat, to defeat such Democrats as Max Cleland and John Kerry. You also helped elect Republicans who sit in the Senate today and enable Trump. You feel any sense of responsibility for setting the table for Trump? Uh, no, I don't. In fact, uh, a true conservative uh, opposes nationalism. And if you look at the careers of not only myself, uh, but everybody involved, we have been aggressively focused on that. So this is one of the criticisms, and I understand it, that comes from our newfound allies on the left, um, who I think are just inculcated into this belief that any Republican is evil and Republicans are all bad people. Uh, I, d I don't believe that. I don't believe that's to this day. Oh, there's um, an article in today's New York Times that ties Trump uh, most specifically to Newt Gingrich and his whole philosophy and how he turned things upside down. But I want to actually just read a quick comment and get a quick answer from you because we're running very short on time from Laurie who sure. wants to know, and I think the answer is in the affirmative, but is unseating Moscow Mitch a necessary corollary to your goal of getting rid of President Trump? A necessary corollary for us is unseating anybody who voted to protect the president during the impeachment. So save Mitt Romney. Everybody is on our target list. Okay. Good to have you with us, Mike Madrid. Appreciate your being with us this morning. Always a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. That's Mike Madrid. He's co-founder of the Lincoln Project, and they are a group of leading Republicans trying to prevent the re-election of President Donald Trump. He's also political consultant and partner at Grassroots Lab and an expert on Latino voting trends. When we return, we're going to talk about the landmark decision today on the Louisiana case by the Supreme Court, which will affect abortions. Uh, stay tuned. That's next. I'm Michael Krasny.